On this week's Ohio Sports Blog Podcast, we're going to talk some Cleveland Browns as they open training camp in Berea uh, with number one draft pick, number one overall pick, Baker Mayfield. We're also going to talk Jim Tomey entering Cooperstown as the 11th Indian to enter the Hall of Fame. And also Ohio State football player, Mount Rushmore. Um, interesting podcast. I hope you, you like it. Let's go. Hey, Charlie. Hey, what's happening? The Browns opened up practice this week. Uh, they also had a lot of off the field news to go through, uh, with, uh, talking to Adam Pacman Jones and also Bryant among a few other guys is with the marquee names. What are, what are your thoughts about Adam Jones and Des Bryant? Mistake. That's the word that comes to my mind. Mistake. These guys are the absolute opposite attitude that we need on this team right now. Adam Pacman Jones, I'm sorry, but the dude is a thug. And I'm not usually one to judge somebody, but he's just a straight-up thug. And I really don't think this team needs that right now. Um, we got we got a lot of young guys, but we've got some veterans. And I just I don't think adding Adam Jones right now is the right move for this front office. No, I'm I'm 100% agree with you there. Um, Adam Jones has been nothing but trouble off the field. Um, the guy's a great talent on the field. I mean, he does a lot of things with the ball uh, in a return game and also on defense at his secondary position. But I'm with you. I think he's his uh, trouble off the field will outweigh definitely anything he give, brings us on the field. And with the young guys we have, we just don't need that type of uh, – attitude and leadership and example for those young guys in the locker room. Exactly. And you know what you, you said that he's has trouble off the field. He's had trouble on the field. You remember the Bengals Steelers playoff game where him and Vontez Burfitt and a lot of the Bengals were getting it in, getting into the sideline with uh Steelers linebacker coach Joey Porter. I mean, what does that say about a professional when you do that with a, a, a coach? I mean Granted, a coach shouldn't be on the field like that. But still, you have to have enough self-awareness to still not do something like that. Yeah, you can't you, – you're right. You can't be drawn into those situations by people. You have to be basically the bigger man, the more uh, mature professional, as you said, uh, and walk away from that situation, not have it cost your team within the game. Um, and I, I just think that Adam Jones is like – he's. He's well past his prime. Um, exactly. He, he would just be adding a, a guy whose name everyone would recognize. I think we have guys on the team with Denzel Ward, our number four pick, and some other corners we've had playing on the team in the last, even last year, and guys we brought in this year are just flat out better than him. So I wouldn't want to bring that attitude and example into the locker room to infect the locker room, um, you know, because he's not going to bring the value on the field to bring to add wins to the team. Exactly. I mean, I've heard rave reviews about Denzel Ward, and frankly, I'm not surprised because Denzel Ward was a lockdown corner at Ohio State. So, frankly, I'm not surprised. And then, although I did, you see that video of uh, Jarvis Landry shaking TJ Carey the other day. Yeah, I did see that. Okay, so that was pretty sick by Jarvis. I mean, because Jarvis has got some moves. But other than that, I was watching the two-minute drill from the Browns' Twitter account today, and what I saw, and I saw a brief moment of carry and coverage. That kid looks good. That's a good young player. That was a good. That was a savvy signing by um, by John Dorsey. And then you also got to end, and we got EJ Gaines. That that kid's he's not a rookie. That's a veteran right there. He's been in the league for a couple years. Um, he's you know he's going to add to it. Um, Terrence Mitchell, Mitchell, I think, is the other guy that we signed. I think yes. this is it. Yeah, Terrence Mitchell. I mean, he's been in the league. I don't know how. I don't know much about him, but he's been in the league, you know. And we we have experience at the. My point is, is we have experience at the cornerback position with a good bit of youth. And bringing in Adam Jones makes absolutely no sense at this point. Not even for a veteran voice in the locker room. Yeah, no, I'm. I agree with you and. Yeah, he's he's. I mean, his last few years and with Cincinnati, he was. I mean, he was very average corner at best. I mean, Sub- subpar. 
yes. We, I mean, we're not talking about a team where this guy is going to make a you know difference between us winning the Super Bowl and not. So I would rather let these guys come in and let's get Denzel Ward some some real game rep repetitions and let's let these other guys play. Let's see what we have right now, as opposed to bringing in a guy who's a little bit who's past his prime and probably going to be a distraction on and off the field. Exactly. And you know how you said, let's let these guys get some reps. You know, cornerback is one of the toughest positions to transition from college to the NFL. The only way you can get better is by getting repetitions. And, you know, adding a guy like Adam Jones is just going to take away repetition from guys like Denzel Ward, guys like TJ Carey, and all all those kids that we've added to this team. And they need that experience more so than Adam Jones need to be on the field. Yes, I agree. I mean, we're talking about I mean, we're talking about a team that won one game in the last two years. We're not talking about the New England Patriots where he may be able to, to shore up one one position and we're going to go back to the Super Bowl. Let's get these guys and let's build for the future finally and win four, five, six, seven, eight games this year and build on that and get to the playoffs eventually maybe next year or the year after that. And, but but it's going to be – it's not going to be on the back of Adam Pacman Jones. It's going to be on the back of a Denzel Ward, EJ Gaines, um, guys like that who, who are going to play for years down the road. You know, a, uh, a Booty Calhoun who played really well last year. Let's I completely forgot some, about him. Yeah, let's get this guy some more rep, reps out there instead of bringing in a Pacman Jones who's going to – who possibly, you know, could disrupt the entire uh, locker room. Exactly. And you know what? You were just talking about Breen Body Calhoun. That's another guy that you got to watch out for. I mean, he's he's potentially looking at a back role as a cornerback and free safety. And every I, I follow this guy on Instagram. This dude is yoked. He is straight yoked. And, like, I, I, that's the type of player that I want on this team is somebody who's going to work their tail off, even if it isn't for a guaranteed starting spot. If it's – and everything that he's shown me – in the last few years, even though it's only contributed to one win in the last two years, it's shown me he's a guy who can who can contribute on an NFL roster more so than what Adam Jones can give us at this point. I totally, I totally agree. Like the guys made strides the last two years, and like you said, on bad teams. But let's give this guy a chance to make some more strides going forward, and maybe hopefully on winning teams that are going to be playoff contenders. And with that, transitioning to the other name that was in the news this week, um, the Browns, I guess the Browns are in talk with signing Des Bryant, another guy I'm not fully on board with bringing him in for a year. Oh, thank you, God. I thought I was the only one who wasn't on board with that. I I can't see Des Bryant making an impact on this team. They're – Okay, so I, I had an article that I just published today. I don't know if you read it, Charlie, but I pointed out five things of why you should not be excited about Des Bryant. Number one, he does not have his breakaway speed. Number two, he cannot separate. Number three, he's not a great route runner. Number four, he's a lackadaisical worker. And number five, he is a horrible personality. Yeah, I agree with I agree with every one of those points. Again, I just feel like, especially in the NFL, if people aren't willing to sign you right away, your time probably is up. You know, there's guys like if a Des Bryant was going to make that big of an impact in one year, I feel like the Patriots would be on him. Teams like that would be on him to help them. You know, and within one year, because those teams are going to the playoff. You know, going to the playoffs, going to the Super Bowl this year. You know, and if they were, he was going to make that big of an impact this year, then those teams would be on him. I feel like the Browns are his last shot of staying in the NFL, and well, I don't, and I don't want that on this team. Well, and you know what he 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 de- he declined a contract from the Ravens, a team that is still probably trying to make last ditch effort efforts to compete for a playoff spot. I mean, if you really want to – and th- and now you're really going to sign a perfect contract with the Browns, give me a break. He, he's never been a hard worker at any point in his career. That's why he does not run routes well. He has relied 
so heavily on his athleticism since he's to get to the point where he is. And, and if you've watched any of his play these last few years, he has lost a step. And I don't want a guy who doesn't work, who relies too much on his athleticism when he's lost a step to be on this team because he's not going to make any sort of impact. Not even – you couldn't even get good wide receiver for – I'd rather us stick with Corey Coleman at this point. And he's been just as unproductive as Des Bryant the last two years. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, just looking at their depth chart here, I mean, I'd rather – I when say almost the same situation as bringing Pac-Man Jones on board. I'd rather get target – of course, we're going to target Landry, but I'd rather target Corey Coleman, you know, uh, Jeff Janis, Antonio Callaway, Rashard Higgins, those guys. I'd rather get them the ball, you know, let them make plays rather than bringing in Des Bryant for one year, who's not going to be able to elevate the team to, you know, in a, to a division title or even mid, you know, a playoff berth in this coming year. Exactly. And then there's a name that you said in there, Antonio Callaway. This dude was a fourth round draft pick. You know why he was a fourth round draft pick? Because he has off the field problems. And I get that. We got enough of those on this team. But John Dorsey trusted John Dorsey and his staff trusted it enough that they vouched for this kid. They went they did all their work that they drafted this kid. This kid has has second round, first round talent. He I honestly think that he's an Antonio Brown in the making. I'm not saying that he could ever be on that level, but I'm saying he's got that much talent in him and we're better served giving him playing time this year than we are a guy like Des Bryant who maybe could contribute a few extra wins if, if, and that's a huge if, if he's willing to work his butt off, which to this point in his career, he's proven to not be a worker and Cleveland is a blue-collar town. We're all about working, and he's the exact opposite of what Cleveland is. Yeah, I mean, just imagine this nightmare scenario, if you will. Baker Mayfield has to play quarterback, and we have Des Bryant out there, and who doesn't catch a ball for one or two games? Imagine just the nightmare scenario of him screaming at Baker Mayfield on the sideline because he's not getting the ball. I mean, that's oh. the guy. That's the type of guy you're bringing in here. Oh, and you know, you know I mean? ba- ba- Baker ain't going to have that either because I w- I watched Baker at Oklahoma. That man's going to get – he'll get in Des's face, and then you'll have a fight on the sidelines between your quarterback and a guy who probably shouldn't even be on your death chart. Yeah, and that's just – it's just a – that's just a nightmare scenario for the for the Browns. Yeah. So, I mean, just – and I, I read something today where Dak, Dak Prescott at the, for the Cowboys didn't – hardly targeted Des Bryant the last two years because – as you stated earlier, you know, he's a bad route runner. He lost his step. Um, you know, he just he dropped he's dropped half of his targets anyway. Um, just just a multitude of reasons not to bring that individual on the team. It's funny that you say that because I actually mentioned that in my article about against Des Bryant, uh, how Dak did not target him a lot less. He he more he was more in short situations. He was more so to target guys like Cole Beasley. Jason Witten and his running backs when he had Ezekiel Elliott or whatever running back was back there. And then a deep situation, which is where often you wanted to go to Des because in the past he had that breakaway speed and he could go up and get it. And Dak wasn't going to him either because he couldn't separate from the defenders and he couldn't on top of that, because he couldn't separate, he couldn't get any space to go up and get it like he usually does. And he doesn't have that athleticism to go up and get it. So Dak in turn went to a guy like, um, what was, oh my God, I'm trying to remember his name. It was Terrence. It's a kid kid from Baylor. Oh, Terrence Newman. Or, uh, not Terrence Newman, that's the cornerback. Um, I know who you're talking about, though. Uh, anyway, he went to that kid instead of Dez. I mean, and Dez made no impact. And then Dez got pissed because he wasn't getting the targets. Which, rightfully so, because the dude, he had one 100-yard game last year. I own this guy in one fantasy league team, Charlie, and I, I thought I should have dropped him, honestly. He, he spent the year on, on my bench most of the time because, like, I, there were weeks where I thought, oh, hey, hey, maybe, yeah. I mean, but he just, he did not produce enough, and he's, he's just not the same anymore. 
And then another one of our guys in the um, group chat was, was comparing him to T.O. Now, I think that's a little too far there, whereas T.O. is a Hall of and I don't think Dez is quite there. But also, on top of it, um, T.O., Dez, Dez didn't really start calling out his quarterbacks until Dak took over. Like, he, he, he didn't say peep when Romo was a quarterback. And then Dak took over, and that's when he started beefing. T.O. didn't give a crap who was his quarterback. He talked about every quarterback, but T.O. was also a hard worker on and off the field. i never seen any player who had such as big as a mouth back it up more times than T.O. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, by the way, that receiver is Terrence Williams um, for the Cowboys. There we go. I see um, I was somebody. Uh, but, yeah, I agree with you on Des Bryant. And you ever know – and it's funny. You watch – you know, you watch sports long enough, and especially you watch skill positions like receiver and running back and all that long enough. Once they realize they've lost a step or they're not as dominant as they used to be, that's when they start, you know, running their mouth about the quarterback and how they're not getting the targets as much. But as you said, looking into it, it's because he can't separate anymore. He can't go up and make those plays he used to pull, he used to make which is what his calling card was. And once he loses essentially his fastball, there's no sense in keeping him around anymore. Yeah. And, and, but the, and on top of that, do you know what the great ones do? The great ones like Larry Fitzgerald and Andre Johnson, they reinvent themselves. Larry Fitzgerald was absolutely an athletic kid who went, went up and got it. Now this guy is a guy you can stick in the slot. You can stick him anywhere on the field. He runs precise routes. He gets by defenders because he's worked hard on his physical condition to stay, um, to keep up his endurance, but also he's worked hard on his route running throughout his career. And that's another thing that Des just does not do. Des doesn't work on route running. He doesn't work on any of that. There, there's no effort in Des. I don't, I don't see him wanting to be, wanting to be great. Like it's just, it seems to me he's out for money here, but you know it, it just it doesn't click with me. I don't know. No, it's, to me it seems like the same thing as essentially the Pac-Man Jones. It just happens to be on offense. Is that the Browns are bringing one one two basically entice the fan base by saying, "Hey, we're bringing in this big name who is a Des Bryant," um, and that name will resonate with a lot of people because of what he has done in his career, but. The Des Bryant we're getting now is not the Des Bryant of three to four or five years ago when he was making big plays for the Cowboys. And honest to God, if Ricardo Lewis wasn't injured, we'd get more production for Ricardo Lewis because Ricardo Lewis is Des Bryant without the same hands. Yes, yes. Ricardo, that, that's a big loss for the Browns, and I believe that's one reason the Browns are looking into Des Bryant is because he is injured and out for the year. Um but I'm with you. Like, this Antonio Callaway is the one name. Even on draft day, I said it was uh, the intriguing pick because he was a, he was a big-time town at Florida. Um, in fact, I don't know, ESPNU has been running uh, great games from college football last year. And this week, this week I caught the Tennessee-Florida um, game. And they, were talking, they showed highlights from Florida from the year before. From Actually, it would have been 16. And Antonio Callaway's all over their highlights making plays. So I'm very excited to see how Callaway progresses, if he can stay out of trouble. And I think there's another kid with the talent he has. You don't want to surround him with people like Des Bryant, with people like Adam Pacman Jones to be able to keep his, his head straight. You also don't want to surround your guy like Josh Gordon with those types of people. Exactly. Like Josh Gordon could easily fall off a cliff at any minute. And the minute you put guys like that in there – it it st- says to Josh Gordon, okay, they don't care how they really don't care how I act if they're going to add these guys. And you know what? I don't want that on this team. We do not need that. I don't care how talented they are. Which to me, they're not that talented anymore because they don't have it. They just don't yeah. have it. And you're not bringing you're not bringing in a Jerry Rice and a Deion Sanders. You're bringing in two guys who are big names. Five years ago, seven years ago, and now the only time they make they make a name for themselves is off the field or even on the field, make it being a distraction for the team. Yeah, and you know what? We if we're looking at Des Bryant as a down the field threat in Ricardo Ricardo Lewis's role, 
we have we honestly we already have that with Josh Gordon and now I know people when you say Josh Gordon they they, they cringe because you don't know when the guy's going to slip up. I honestly truly believe in this guy and you know what the other the other weapons around him I think we need to focus more on short to intermediate passes to open up those long passes and we got the guys to do that like Jarvis Landry that guy is killer when he catches the ball and after the catch and I think I've seen some tape of Antonio Callaway. Dude's got elite athleticism and can do some things with the ball in his hands. And, you know, we have David Njoku who can go over the middle. Seth DeVal, the other tight end. I mean, we have weapons. Why add another Why add another piece when you don't need it? For sure. And, I mean, if you watch the NFL closely at all the last three, four years, I mean, look how late it pays. Tom Brady's 40, 40 years old throwing for 4,000 yards and probably doesn't throw the ball down the field but about a dozen times the entire year. Most of his stuff is short, short passes, three yards down the field to Edelman, to Amendola, and they're just taking it and running it. And I think that's what we have on this team now with a Jarvis Landry, with an Antonio Callaway who can catch and run. And, you know, that's what Baker had at Oklahoma, honestly, mm-hmm. was, was guys. He didn't have to – he wasn't always opening up, whipping the ball down the field. He was no. like short throws, letting them catch it, letting them run after the catch, and that's what the NFL is becoming now. Well, and I believe Baker had one of the fastest times of when he was not um, making running around and stuff like that. He got the ball out of his hand pretty quick on normal plays when he didn't, when he wasn't like uh, running around like a what people would say Johnny Manziel, Johnny Manziel, or whatever. And you know what? Like you said, Tom Brady has made his bones last few years on. Short pat, short to intermediate passes. That's why that guy's still around. That's why he's the freaking goat. Much as it pains me to say it, the man is the goat. Five Super Bowls. Oh. That man is the goat. Yeah, that guy. I mean, like and like you said, the guy's he's going to go to the Hall of Fame whenever he retires. It's going to be five yeah. years later. A guy's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And in the last five, six, seven years of his career, he's thrown a dozen passes over twenty yards. I mean, so the NFL is going to that model of. Dumping it off, letting them run, catch and run, you know, running rub plays, pick plays, whatever you want to call them, and letting their guys catch them and go. I mean, outside well, of outside of him throwing the ball to Gronkowski down the field because the guy's the guy just boxes everybody out and goes up and gets the ball. I mean, that's the only time he throws the ball down the field. Yeah, and you well, you you know how they added Brandon Cooks last off season? They they ended up trading him. You know why they added him as a downfield threat? And all of us were like, oh yeah, Patriots added. Brandon Cooks, they're going to, oh, they're going to open up the offense. They're going to throw more downfield. He barely lucked Brandon Cooks' way. Now, Brandon Cooks, granted, because of his talent, still went over 1,000 yards. But fantasy-wise, dude didn't put up stats like like you would think he would in Tom, in a Tom Brady offense because Tom Brady was not looking for a guy who could separate down the field. I mean, he used it, but he didn't use it a whole lot. He's looked for guys like Chris Hogan. He didn't have Edelman this season, so he looked for Hogan. He looked for – um Gronkowski and whoever Amendola. the hell the Amendola. Amendola. There we go, Amendola. Yeah, another he he likes the New England Patriots seem to like those short white guys at wide receiver. Yeah, they get lost in there and then they come out and catch the ball and keep running. But yeah, I mean that's just the like, I mean everybody's using the Patriot model because that's the way. I mean they won five. It's hard to argue with they won five Super Bowls. Been um, eight of them. Yeah, they've been to eight Super Bowls, and you need one guy to, to to blow the top off the defense, and everybody else is running crossing routes. So you're going to find one of them and let them run. And that's just the way it is now. Exactly, and we have that with Josh Gordon as long as we can keep him on the field. Which everything that tells me, I think everybody's getting all all their panties in a bunch right now. I'm not worried about Josh Gordon. I mean, this guy, it's just it like it's part of his treatment plan, and I'm all for it if it keeps him on the field and ready for us in this, and he's still ready to go, then let's do this, man. Let's get Josh Gordon on the field and let's have a freaking good year. Yeah, I mean, Josh Gordon plays the outside receiver, which he runs probably about four different routes. The guy knows how to run routes. Um, the big thing is keeping him clean, keeping him on the field. Um, he doesn't need to be at training camp. And, you know, I read yeah. something I read something today where, you know, the Browns are having hard knocks there. So, you know, oh, that's a lot of pressure for a guy just coming back, you know, through rehab with the problems he's had. So, you know, I'm all for J- Josh Gordon 
you know, if he needs to, just show up on Sunday against Pittsburgh and let's go. Like, he doesn't need to be there the whole time. Exactly. And, like, I completely understand what jo- – yeah, like you were saying, you read something. It was something about, like, his anxiety, and I completely understand where that comes from because I deal with anxiety on a daily basis. And dealing with stuff like that, like what he's dealing with, addiction, I, I have a personal I, – I didn't deal with personal addiction myself. But I've watched family members deal with addiction, and it's not easy. And when you have the cameras on you for something like Hard Knocks, that makes it ten times harder. And I agree, he doesn't need to be in there. Because look look at what he did when he wasn't even in training camp or any of that last season when he briefly came back. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't great, but it was pretty darn good, and people were still worried about him. The dude is talented. He, it's it, it. You're right. It's all about keeping him clean because the dude already has the talent. It's just we yeah, just got to keep him clean. And I'm a, I'm on the bandwagon of if John Dorsey's not worried. I'm not worried. And John, I trust. And I mean, if he's not worried, I'm good to go. So whatever he says, I'm on. I'm on the bandwagon. If if he's saying okay, buddy boy, let's go, then I, I and John Dorsey, we trust exactly. Yes. So I mean, the Browns open up training camp this week. Um, they have another training camp tomorrow on Sunday. Um, I mean, it's just going to be, to me, it's, this is the most optimistic, realistic optimism that I've seen Browns fans have in quite some time. I mean, it's just the moves they've made in the off season have addressed needs that they had. Um, they've gotten legitimate players to come in that aren't over the hill. Like I think, I think five years ago, there's no doubt in my mind, they signed both. Pac-Man Jones and Des Bryant because they're big names. And they're dysfunctional. Yes, and they're over the hill, but now they're like they're signing guys who are ready to go, younger guys who can play, getting them a good value, drafting guys that can help us. Guys are just hitting their prime, honestly. For sure. I'm looking at their roster right now. I mean, Carlos Hyde signing was great. Tyler Tyler Taylor trade was fantastic. Steel. Um, Demarius Randall. I mean, Steel. they just got guys. Yeah, I mean, like you said, they're just stealing guys. John Dorsey probably should be arrested at some point. Exactly. But, and and you missing a guy, Chris Hubbard, at right tackle. That's an under the radar signing from Pittsburgh. That is. You're 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 100 correct. That's a good. That was a great signing in the offseason also. Um, and you look at their two deep here. They have seven guys in the two deep that are rookies. So they're drafting correctly. Exactly. And, I'll tell you, and I'm going to tell you one guy that I'm going to really target in fantasy, and I hope I'm not giving away too much for our staff fantasy league, but I think David Njoku is going to have a breakout year. Uh, see, I'm on the opposite train of that one. I, I think he's ready physical, regular football-wise fantasy. I just I don't think he's there yet. But, you know, if if you want to target him, go right ahead because (laughs) I'll take it to the bank when I win the league. Okay. But I'm just thinking, you know, with the weapons on the outside with Landry, I think Corey Coleman might have a big year this year. If Callaway can play, Josh Gordon, I think that opens a lot of space in the middle for Njoku to work, and he's got a veteran quarterback that can get him the ball. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. But here's looking for the Browns in the, in the fall to start off hot, hopefully keep, stay hot and win some games this year, get the city of Cleveland excited for going forward, and hopefully they can make some noise in the AFC Central. Smith, the legend, Jim Tomey going into the Hall of Fame today. What's your thoughts on that, Charlie? Jim Tomey was a 22-year veteran, hit 612 home runs with 1,699 RBIs. I wish he could have got one more. It made it a lot easier. Um, but ironically, and a lot of people won't know this, he batted 276 for his career. I mean, for a slugger in the middle of the lineup whose job was it, it was to drive in runs and hit home runs, that's a pretty good average. I, honestly, yeah, that's, a, that's, that's more than a pretty good average. That's a pretty darn good average, at least in my opinion. Just because the guy was known as a slugger. But, you know, for years, he wasn't just a slugger. You know, he was the guy who could draw a walk when you needed a walk. He got on base. And if you needed a base hit, I mean, he didn't always try to pull the ball. You know, he wasn't a guy that you could shift on all the time because he would burn you if, he went, if, you, if you did the other way. 
I mean, he had opposite field power, but he also had – he was smart enough to know when he needed to shorten up his swing. Yes, he had 12 seasons of over 30 home runs, which is pretty impressive. Um, he had nine walk-off home runs. For the That's between, crazy. That, that is crazy. I mean, he just the guy hit bombs, especially at bombs in uh, huge situations. Um, the guy was uh, – he was never the MVP. He finished in the top ten in voting four or five times. Uh, he was a three-time All-Star – four-time All-Star, sorry. Um, the the guy was – I mean, he's got a statue off, out front of the uh, stadium for a reason. The guy was Mr. Cleveland Indian for 13 years. Uh, he yeah. came, up, came up through the organization, did what he could do, was a uh, solid – and right in the middle of the lineup in the early 2000, I mean, you could always pencil him in as a as a player. The guy hardly missed any games, but he was just a 612 home runs is a lot, lot of home runs. Well, and you were saying, you know, how he never won an MVP and he was only a four-time All-Star. That's a testament to the guys that he was playing with in his time. And to put up the numbers that he put up with the guys that were producing at elite levels at the same time is oh, – yeah. Makes makes what he's done that much more amazing, and you know what? You know how he got so much bigger the more years that he spent in the majors. You remember when he first came up? That was a that was one of the skinniest kids I ever saw. Not as skinny as Richie Sexton, but he was pretty damn skinny. And that he had he packed so much punch in that bat, and that just tells you it's not about the size; it's about the work that you do with your swing, how you how how you put the how you put the barrel of the bat on the ball and all that. And he, he's just a class act and one of the hardest workers I've ever seen. He, like you said, he was, he was Mr. Cleveland blue, blue town, blue collar town, just blue collar guy. Exactly. For sure. And, and there's no yeah, one more deserving than Jim Tomey right now. No, his best year, um, 52 homers, 118 RBIs, um, led the league in walks with 122 walks. Batted over 300. He still finished seventh in the MVP voting. That, like you said, that's a testament to how good the offenses, offensive production from guys was, and or was in 2002. That's the year, age 31, he hit all those homers and drove his runs. Um, his I mean, his free agent walk year. Yeah. Yes. And then he, um, yeah. I mean, to finish seventh in the in the. Uh, in the voting, I mean, he finished behind Miguel Tejada, A-Rod, Alfonso Soriano, Garrett Anderson, Jason Giambi, and Torrey Hunter. I mean, those guys put up fantastic. A-Rod hit 57 homers with 142 RBIs. I mean, that's just, like you said, again, that's just a testament to the guys he was playing against. And he was definitely, he's definitely deserving of the All-Star, uh, or All-Star Hall of Fame uh, bid, and I'm, I'm so glad he got in. And got his hard work, like you said, recognized. Yeah, and you know what? He's one of the few guys that can say that he did it clean in the steroid era. I mean, there's not many guys that can say that, oh, I hit all these home runs. Oh, but you did steroids. Jim Toby never touched a steroid a day in his life. Yeah, that man was that that was all natural. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was, you're right, he's from Peoria, Illinois, from Blue Collar Town. Fit, I mean, just fit the mold of a Cleveland Indian and what a Cleveland Indian should be. You know, came to work every single day, um, you know, for 13 years. And then I, I honestly believe it, it hurt him a little bit when he had to leave to go to Philly. A little piece of him died inside when he left Cleveland because he's a Cleveland, Cleveland guy born and not born and bred, but, you know, through the system all the way up for all those years. And it hurt him a little bit when he left in uh, 2000. Jim, Jim Tom. 2002, yeah. Yeah. Jim Jim Tomey leaving was like when LeBron first left us. That's how much it hurt Cleveland. I mean, Jim Tomey was our LeBron before we had LeBron. And when he left, it hurt. It hurt so much. And that's why there was so much hate for him. And that's why it took so many years um, for us to forgive him. And then when he finally came back, that's when everybody forgave him. And the guy is such a class act. Like, he... He was so happy to be back when we brought him back. I, I had never seen a player more happy to be back in Cleveland than Jim Tomey on that day, on his first, his first game back. And it, just, it makes his run that much more incredible, you know, that he came here and he finished. 
he finished it here. And you know what? His that statue out in front of Progressive Field is is well well deserved as much as the Bob Feller statue. I couldn't oh. think of a better player at this point to put a statue of. No, I, no, I, I'm well, I totally agree with you. Um, the statue is well deserved. The guy's gonna go down. I mean, there's probably people in Cleveland alone who you could ask now, and they wouldn't. Even, they couldn't even tell you the other four or five teams he played with. You know, they, he's always going to be and always will be a Cleveland Indian, um, no matter where he went. He just the things he did in Cleveland. You know, I did. Some, I've heard some philanthropy stories that he used to do in Cleveland. Just an all-around good guy, as you said. And I mean, just the picture of what a Cleveland Indian guy was in the two thousand uh, late nineties, early two thousands. And you know what? I would give anything to have Jib Tomey back again nowadays. Just, just to see him one more in the batter's box one more time because he was he was so much fun to watch bat because you could get him down 0-2 and the dude would work the count 3-2 and then jack a freaking home run on you. I mean, that's just how how good of a hitter he was. Yeah, as we're sitting here talking about him, I can still see him with that signature bat point right before he got ready and then, you know, the poor – Poor guy, nine different times got ready, thought he was going to close the game out, and Tommy jacked him into the over the most of the time. Most of his home runs were left center to right center field. He weren't a whole lot of homers he pulled straight down the line. So he was a power. He was power to the power alleys and straightaway center. So when he hit him, he hit bombs. Straight country power right there. That's right, and uh, I mean, it's so glad Jim Tommy going in as the eleventh Indian to go in to the Hall of Fame, and uh, just so glad he's going in and got in on the, through the vote, and he's, you know, going to Cooperstown to represent the tribe. Are we connected? Yep. Okay, good. All right, so so what we have for you guys today is we have our top Mount, our Mount Rushmore Ohio State players, and as I was saying before, um, Charlie, I think yours and our mine and your mine and your list will be a little bit different as uh, there's a little bit of difference in our age, and I might have a little bit more players that I've mostly seen. Um, so I'll kick it off first with my number four player being Ezekiel Elliott, as he ran it, and that's I mean that he's an easy choice for top four as he basically ran us to a national championship, and who can forget his. 55, 75, and 85-yard run against Al- for a touchdown against Alabama, who were um, – they were known for stuffing the run. And Ezekiel Elliott put on a show in the All-State Sugar Bowl and then followed it up the same week um, with putting on a show against Oregon in the national title. And even before Alabama, he, he single-handedly – him and Cardell Jones single-handedly beat Wisconsin themselves. And it was a 57 or nothing drubbing and I mean when you say Mount Rushmore of Ohio State players it's hard not to include Ezekiel Elliott in that in that conversation oh for sure and I'm just I'm just a little bit taken aback by you having him at number four I mean I mean Zeke your your top three must be something else because those three games Zeke put on in the Big Ten Championship game the semifinal and the final to win Ohio State Championship in 2014 were something else I, mean, I believe he went over 200 yards. He almost had a thousand yards in three games. He and- did. He had he had three straight games of 200 yards. And you know you you're thrown aback by it. And I, you know, I thought about it long and hard. And you know, the other guys in front of him may not have won us a national championship or done the same thing. But there, it's a personal fandom for me is is where I get at it with these guys. There you go. I mean, Zeke is definitely a solid, solid choice at number four. For my number four, I'm going to go back a few years uh, to Andy Katzenmoyer, You're probably the first great linebacker in the modern era of great linebackers for Ohio State. He was from Columbus, went to Columbus, played four years for the Buckeyes. I mean, the guy was just a run-stopping machine. Um, unfortunately, had an injury in the pro, so – his pro career was cut short, but for me, number four, Andy Katzenmoyer was the first of the long line that includes like AJ Hawk, Laurenitis. Um, he was the, he was part of the O two national championship team, wasn't he? 
Katzmoyer? Yeah. No, he was older than that. He was mid-90s. Oh, but, okay, yeah. We're talking Buckeyes I never saw. Yeah, yeah, you probably never saw him. Um, but, no, this guy was – to me, he was the first in the long line of just um, linebackers that came through um, Ohio State. He was, like, the first of the modern era. So, that's why he was he's your, number four for me. He was your first love. Yes. Yes, he was right. He was a good one. All right, so – my uh, my number three, and I think you'll find this interesting, is uh, Super Bowl two-time Super Bowl champion Malcolm Jenkins. Um, and though his play did not lead to a, a national championship at Ohio State, it did lead to two. And although we got dropped, in. but Mac, Malcolm Jenkins' talent was undeniable, and that's why he was a first-round talent. And he a pit, he was the beginning. Uh, he of what we did of our run in the secondary. I mean, it really started when Malcolm Jenkins took off. And although he's prospered more at safety in the NFL, um, it doesn't take away from what he did in the college game. I mean, he was our last Jim Thorpe award winner. I mean, just look at that. And you say, how is that possible with all the first round picks that he's the last Jim Thorpe award winner? But that's why he's number three on my list. That's a surprising stat. The Jim Thorpe Award. That's a surprise. I would have thought – I guess I never really paid that close of attention, but I would have thought Lattimore or somebody like that would have at least – would have gotten that award at some point. 2008, last time a Buckeye won the Jim Thorpe Award. Oh. Um, well, they, they definitely deserve another one here pretty soon. Um, well, it's, a, it's a damn shame that we haven't won it more often. Number three for me is Maurice Claret, the running, freshman running back. Uh, oh, from God. Ohio State for the 2002 um, national championship game, maybe made one of the most iconic plays in Buckeye history. I'm sure you've seen the video of it um, when he when uh, who's the guy Sean, the guy who died, the safety for Miami who died. Sean, Sean Sean Taylor. Sean Taylor intercepted the ball. Claret tracked him down and stripped the ball back for Ohio State to keep the ball and essentially won the national title because. Neither team was really stopping each other. So if Miami keeps the ball there, they're going to go down and score. That game, um, I, I don't know how if you saw it or you've probably seen the highlights of it. That game had more, I've seen mostly the highlights of it. More pros on the field. That game was unbelievable. The amount of pro, legitimate pro power that was on that field that night. I mean, it was unbelievable. And the, probably the best player on that field that night at 18 years old, 19 years old, whatever he was, was Mo Claret. And it's a shame that he got caught up and didn't have the three years at Ohio State. Ohio State probably wins the national title three years in a row if he stays because he was just just that good. And then Completely and, agreed. He, he was a massive talent. Oh, his first game, I mean, his first game, he gets the ball and he goes on – they run power to the right side and he goes on like a 40 – 40-yard gain in his first carry as a Buckeye. I mean, the guy was unbelievable, unbelievable talent, and it's too bad off-the-field things got in the way, and it didn't, he couldn't complete his three years and go to the pros and have a great pro career because he would have. Yeah, and you know what? The, the cool thing, though, about Claret now is now he's, he's, you know, he's giving back, and, you know, he's going to these guys, and he's telling them, don't make the same mistakes that I did. And you know what? He was a massive talent, and we can always say what could have been. But I definitely agree with that as um, a, Ra- a Mount Rushmore on Ohio State players. Um, so my number two, these next two players that I'm going to say are the reason why I love Buckeye football as much as I do. They're the ones who gave me my real love for Buckeye football. So first up at number two is Chris Beanie Wells. That man was an absolute beast, a monster. He ran you over ran the ball right down your throat, and then exploded for touchdowns on a consistent basis. And the sad part about him is he couldn't stay healthy enough to have a good NFL career, but his, he loved Ohio State, and he loved performing. And when he, when he got up every day um, to play, for that, play against that team up north, he was ready to go. And I just, the, the, I just remember the lasting image I had of him is after, he beat, after they beat TTU in, with him and the the rose in his mouth of 07 when they weren't even expected to go to the national championship 
but certain things fell into place where teams were upset and they ended up going to the national championship. I mean, it's crazy. And then his, his first touchdown run in that game, I got so happy, you know, and I thought 07 was going to be different, which turns out it, it wasn't different. We ended up getting throttled in that game too. But the man played hard every single down and epitomized what a Buckeye is, and he made me love Buckeye football. Yeah, Beanie Wells was basically – he was uh, one of the faces of Jim Trestle football, hard running, run the ball. You're going to give the running back the ball 25, 20, 25 times, and he's going to get 100 yards, 120 yards, and he's we're going to live and die by the way he runs. And Beanie Wells was definitely one of those guys for Coach Trestle. Agreed. Completely agreed. My number two guy is a more more uh, local guy, um, more recent guy, I guess. Uh, Teddy Ginn, Ted Ginn Jr. Um, Ooh. I'm, I mean, the guy was. I mean, the guy was. He's one of the few guys in my lifetime that I've seen. He's one of the top three guys where if he touched the ball, you thought he was going to score. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he one touched of- it, whether it be a punt, pass run, uh, whatever, you thought he could score. He was he was one of the most electrifying Buckeyes I've ever saw. And you know what? I honestly thought he could have won the Heisman the same way, in the same mold as Charles Woodson did it for TTUN because he did so many different things in the field. He caught passes. He returned punts. He returned kicks. And he scored in so many different ways. And you, you couldn't stop that. No. I mean, he was – yeah. I mean, there's no sense in kicking in the ball because – he was going to return it for a touchdown. And I mean, it, it, he did it in the first play of the national championship game in 2007 against Florida. And then Florida had some dudes on their team that could run and they kicked the ball to Teddy again. And that's probably, it probably ended up, they, I know they got beat 41 to 13 or whatever it was, but it probably at some point in some juncture probably cost him, cost them the national title. If they had Ted Ginn Jr., I believe that's a whole different ball game. Florida may still win, but it's a whole lot closer than the final score was without him. Yeah, you know, the speed difference and Urban, a, young, a younger Urban Meyer at that time, you know, that was when the spread offense was just breaking in. So, yeah, maybe we still end up losing, but maybe it would have been closer with Ted Ginn. Um, and finally, my number one player. This is the guy who absolutely had – Buckeye, who bled scarlet and gray his entire career and worked so hard. Number 33, you mentioned him earlier, Mr. James Laurinaitis. He was an animal on the field. He absolutely did everything he could to make, to get the win for the Buckeyes. I mean, he was a huge reason why Trestle had some of the top defenses over the years when he was the head coach, um, he was a big part of the years where we went to the national championship and two years in a row and lost, but he was a big part in how we got there, you know, and he just, his dad was a pro professor. And he, the football business and is, Animal on the field. He was an absolute animal. So we just got number one from Charles was James Laurinaitis. So my number one is I never saw the guy play, but I just believe he has to be number one because of his accomplishments. Has to be Archie Griffin. I mean, the guy won two. Heisman trophies never been done before or since. Um, the guy, I mean, two Heisman trophies, what are you going to say? 1975, 1976, the guy won both two Heisman trophies. Um, he's the face of Ohio State football. When you say Ohio State football and you go to their facilities and whatnot, it's Archie Griffin here and there and everywhere because of the two Heisman trophy, trophies he won. I mean, that's just an accomplishment to me. I mean, I've never seen the guy play other than some highlights here and there. But to win two Heisman trophies, you have to be something special. And so the guy gets the number one top billing for me. Well, and I'll tell you what, him not seeing him play is the only reason that he's not on my 
on my Mount Rushmore. I mean, because, I mean, how can you really put into perspective a guy that um, won two Heismans in a row if you didn't see him play? Now, I, I love Archie Griffin. He absolutely deserves to be on the Ohio State Mount Rushmore. But, you know, I just I, – I wouldn't have felt right doing it because I couldn't give our listeners a good explanation oh, yeah, why other than that's his a, two That's an accomplishment. I don't know that it will ever be duplicated. He, he um, has my heart. I mean, we've had some guys when, like, Manziel won it as a freshman, as a redshirt freshman, and some people thought he might be able to do it. Some people thought Lamar Jackson. But I don't know, like, with today's social media and the media and pressure and stuff, I think winning a second Heisman would be – if someone could do it, I'm not sure I know who it could be. But, I mean, that would be a fantastic accomplishment. But until it happens, I mean, Archie's the only guy who's done it before – after 76. Archie's the only guy with two, two, two trophies, and his name won two trophies. He was just that good. I mean, to to do that when nobody – and nobody else still has – I just – I this record being beaten because like you said with social media and whatnot with everything available there's too much for other players to get better from year to year for the same win it oh and well, i agree the way with, guys are going to the- i agree 100 with you it's just that's just a great accomplishment that'll probably go down in history never to be done again um, now we're going to – like a couple guys I think that could be on the Mount Rushmore of Ohio State football um, that didn't quite make my cut. Um, and and two guys that I'm going to mention are both head coaches currently, one at the University of Cincinnati and one at the Tennessee Titans, or Mike Vrabel and Luke Fickle. I didn't think that those two could ever be separated. They were stalwarts on that 2002 um, – Championship team, um, Fickle. They both Vrabel went to the pros. We know what he did with the Patriots. Uh, won a bunch of Super Bowls with them. And Fickle went right to coaching at Ohio State, and he he was coaching Ohio State for a bunch of years. Took over as the interim coach between Coach Trussell and Coach Meyer. Now he's at the University of Cincinnati. But those two, I feel like, should definitely be on that Mount, or could be on that Mount Rushmore. They have an argument to be on that Mount Rushmore. And I just felt like I had to mention them both together. Uh, I love those mentions, Charlie. Those were great mentions there. Um, the two that I got that I think would have just missed it for me were, um, excuse me, were um, Troy Smith and uh, Mike Thomas. Um, it's, it's a little personal with Mike Thomas. I mean, when that guy was with the Buckeyes, I mean, he, he I never seen a of my tweets to him than Mike Thomas did. But Mike Thomas talked with his play. He didn't talk with his mouth. And he he was the nephew of Keyshawn Johnson. He was only a three-star recruit, but he didn't let that deter him. And he was one of our best players when we won the national title and a big part of why we won the national title. And he's constantly winning Pro Bowls or constantly getting two Pro Bowls now in the NFL. Um, And he's actually, I think he is the fastest player to reach – a certain amount of catches, too, in the NFL, too. I think he surpassed Odell Beckham Jr.'s record. I can't remember what the exact stat is. But anyways, Troy Smith, the other guy, well, that guy was, if you want to say there was somebody who's Mr. Buckeye, it was Troy Smith. I mean, I still remember my favorite game of all time was 2006 Ohio State versus TTUN and the the gunship. the <sighs> The gun show between him and Chad Henney, where we won 42 to 39, I think was the final score. Yeah. Um, and every time you see, every time you see the documentary about the rivalry between those two, that game gets so many mentions. And I just remember Troy, Troy Smith cemented himself as a Heisman Trophy winner that in that game, and he was a big that year up until the national title game against Florida. Yeah, Mike Thomas, um, that's a great, great one, Mike Thomas. He set the league record with 196 catches in his first two NFL season 
passing the mark of Jarvis Landry, who's got 194. Um, but uh, and Troy Smith, I mean, another guy, a Heisman oh, Trophy winner, um, local guy from Ohio, um, you know, wins a national – or doesn't win, wins a Heisman, takes in the national title game. Um, just, I mean, a great – you're right, the face of uh, Ohio State football for – Few, a couple years there, and just you know, didn't didn't have the skill set to transfer to the pros, but that doesn't that doesn't negate from what he did in college. He won a ton of games in college, and especially like you said that that shootout with Michigan, forty two thirty nine. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure Mike Thomas caught the uh, reverse pass against Alabama, which really triggered the comeback because they were down twenty one to three or twenty one to seven early in that game. And I thought, watching it, I thought it could be over. But he caught that trick play pass for a touchdown and really turned the tide of that game. All right. You know what? I'm not really I'm, – I'm pretty sure that was him, but it also could have been Devin Smith too because Devin Smith was our deep guy that year. Yeah, I'm but pretty sure it was Thomas. I, I, I think I'm going to go Smith with you. I think here, it was Mike Thomas. And it really triggered the um, – triggered the comeback against the Crimson Tide and, you know, and then catapulted them up to winning the national title and beating Oregon the next week. But those are two two great mentions. Troy Smith, obviously. And, I mean, some other guys we forgot. Yeah. Um, little known, the quarterback of the 2002 team doesn't get a whole lot of credit except for, I mean, the guy has one of the greatest majors of anybody I've ever seen play college football is like biomechanical engineering or something. Craig Krenzel was a quarterback of the 2002 team uh, that won the national title. Um, there's a bunch of guys in there also who could be mentioned in this Mount Rushmore. Um, you know, just, I mean, bottom line is Ohio State's had a number of great, great players. And as far as their recruiting goes, they're going to have a number of great, great players coming in the next few years and for years to come. Oh yeah, and Frenzel gets no love. I mean, and you got you have to give the quarterback some love because you have to have some competency to win, um, at to win to go undefeated and win a national championship at quarterback. You have to have some competency. And ESPN recently ranked our O two national championship team as the worst national championship team. They did not realize that oh, we yeah, had I like mean, seven first round I, picks I, I, on that I alluded team. Alluded to it earlier. The star power. I mean, the professional football power on those two teams. With- Oh my goodness! Like Kellen, like Kellen Winslow Jr. Between the two team. teams, yeah. John Taylor, we already mentioned him was on that team. Um, Jonathan Goma was on that team for Miami. Uh, the Buck the Buckeyes had all kind of guys playing in the pros. I mean, it's just, Ed, uh, yeah. Ed Reed was on that team. Ed Reed was on that um, team, wasn't he? I mean, just the guys who played, and then I mean, these are the guys for the Buckeyes, the defensive players. Matt Wilhelm was the middle linebacker. Uh, they had, of course, they had some defensive backs on that team because, you know, that's what Ohio State does. They get defensive backs. Their offensive power, their offensive line was great. I mean, there were a ton, ton of, of pro guys on that field. Um, so, I mean, to rank them as the worst, I mean, there's, I guess there's worse things to be ranked. I'd love to be the worst national championship team. I mean, you're a national champion, but, I mean, it's, Exactly. They, yeah. It doesn't change the you fact know, that you they know got what that, the, is, you know what that says to me they got the ring. is that it doesn't change. It's that. the middle. It's the end of July. Pro football hasn't started yet, and baseball is kind of in their long season. So we don't have anything else to talk about. So we're going to rank rank national champions in the last twenty years. So, I, well, yeah, ex- E S E C P N strikes again. I, I, I like tell you what, I haven't watched they the, the SEC. show outside of a live game. I can't. I can't even tell you the last time. I think I was home. I think I was home one morning, and I thought I was turning on Sports Center, and that <laughs> stupid show with uh, Mike Greenberg that Get Up was on, and I turned it immediately. Uh, I I can't do any of their shows. There's just no substance to it, and they've gone way too political for me now. If I want to, if I want politics, I'm gonna go watch CNN. I'm gonna go watch M- NBC. I'm gonna go watch Fox. I'm gonna go watch the regular news channels. I'm not gonna go and, and not, watch, I'm not gonna turn and on not, sports. Yeah, and not to digress too much, but I want sports. I'll tell you what. I think it's hard for it's like 
I was listening to an interview with Dan Patrick the other day, and he was talking about how hard it is to do like Sports Center now because everybody knows the score. You know the score and the highlights just by you have to flip through Twitter and you know it already. So it's like there's no sense in watching Sports Center anymore. Sports Center is obsolete yeah, I mean, with so today's technology. To I don't even know to, why they still you have know, it. bringing up the national anthem battle, the bringing up whatever they have to bring up politically, like you said. And it just becomes, and it turns everybody off. And, I mean, people want their sports to get away from that stuff. And I think it's just, it's bad, bad news. I think ESPN's folding right before our eyes. Oh, completely agree. They've been doing it for years, and I think they've been a seeking ship for years. It's hard to believe they're, they're still signing some guys, and some guys are still wanting to stick around. But, you know, I'll tell you what, if I, there's any, if I go anywhere for a sports channel, which I don't watch too much live TV nowadays, I mostly go to Twitter, it's going to be FS1. Because yeah, I, love, I, I can't. Their, I, I don't know. I I've never coverage. watched FS1. Um, I've never watched, I don't watch ESPN anymore. I'm with you. I'm a Twitter guy. I'll turn on whatever – a game. If I'm watching a game, I'm watching Twitter. I'll go to, I'll sit on the couch and, and flip through Twitter. I mean, that's basically that's where my my news and my uh, sports stories come from is from Twitter and from people who are covering the games. Exactly. Twitter has enabled us to to step away from the TV and then just look online because you get instant reactions. And you're right. I mean, I just. We both we're both the same way. We put we stick on a game, but we're both sitting there flipping through Twitter because we want to see what else is going on. And you know, you get faster reactions on Twitter. And sometimes I feel like they're even ahead of the actual live game because I think sometimes yeah, the live broadcast, I mean, especially like, if you're at the game, yeah, guys like that. tweeting from the game. I mean, it's just Twitter has changed. You're correct. Twitter has changed the entire way we consume everything as far as sports media, as far as. Uh, even news media and all that, because you just get it so fast and so instantaneous that it's making these channels obsolete. Yeah, you you don't need to watch these channels to get the yeah, late, from latest the guy, free like, agent signings I mean, you because get, they you get come free right agent to your phone. From you know, Adam, even Adam Schefter and those guys are a little bit behind because you're going to get a Twitter, uh, you know, um, thing from the guy who just signed. You know, who, no matter who it is. It's going to be like, you know, coming to – I've seen you've uh, you quote tweeted and tweeted out guys that are signing with Ohio State, and they just – you know, they're putting it right on there. Hey, I'm coming to Ohio State, or they're putting pictures of themselves in the jersey, and that's the way we're getting our stuff. It's not coming from, you know, these big-time recruiting gurus. It's coming from the actual guy. Yep, exactly. And that's that's why I, do, I follow the recruits, you know, because – that's who you're going to hear it from first. And that's how you get the news out there so quickly. I mean, you have to, you got to, it, it's a lot of work to follow all these recruits, but you know what? It's so worth it when you can tweet out that boom so quickly, when you're one of the first, first places to uh, announce that. And you know what? It, it, it just feels good. And you know what? Following these kids in their journey is another, it's, it's fun to follow their journey. You know, even if they don't end up at Ohio state, it, it's still fun to watch how they go about recruiting. I mean, because I never had that because I wasn't an elite athlete who was recruited like that. So it's fun to watch these kids um, yeah, go through what they go their, through you know, like every said, day on a daily basis. Their journey to stardom. And, you know, if you, even if you get a guy, you get a, especially if you get a guy who you can watch from, you know, from high school, you know, watch him when he signs all the way up through Ohio State or wherever he goes, and then into the pros. That's I mean, it's just – need to watch that four or five year journey of a kid living out his dream of becoming uh, all pro or whatever. Yeah. And you know what the thing, the same thing can be said with baseball players now is we're now able to follow those guys who are drafted so quickly right there on Twitter. So we can see their journey. We don't just have to go to the team site anymore to follow their journey and see what they're doing. We can go on Twitter and find everything that we need to find. And, you know, it's fun. Like I said, it's, it's the same with as following recruits, following guys in the minor leagues. It's fun to watch that. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a nerd when it comes to that stuff, honestly. I, I, I love watching that stuff. I mean, I watched Frankie from the time he was drafted. I mean, 
it's it's how you get it's how these people they get their projections and then it's also how you see guys blossom the way you never thought that they would blossom before yeah and it's amazing it's just, to watch that it's transformation just great to watch, you know like you said it's great to watch them then they blossom into pros and you know stars of teams and faces of towns and you saw them when they were young kids coming up through the minors and it's just, I mean, Twitter's just opened every opened up the way we consume everything so much, and we can contact people and you know let people know. You know, I mean, I, I'm sure half the athletes I tweet at don't even look at us, but like you said, Mike Mike Brown um, or Michael Johnson, um, Mike Thomas. I knew I was going to get there. Um, you know, liking your tweets or whatever. You know that you know that's pretty cool that they read that stuff and they know and. Um, you know, they probably appreciate your, your encouragement or whatever it happens to be. And um, so it's pretty pretty neat that you can connect with these guys that you only see on TV. But that's just a great way of consuming all kind of entertainment. Well, that about wraps it up here. Exactly. At the Ohio Sports yeah. Blog Podcast. Um, Browns are in the, in the heat of their training camp. Jim Tomey, the 11th Indian to go to the Hall of Fame. And a pretty good Mount Rushmore of Ohio State players. And uh, Ohio State players players just keep getting better and better. And they keep getting great ones after great ones. So, tune in next week. Uh, we'll have all your Ohio sports talk. And we'll see you on the flip side.